Welcome back to the Harvest Center for International Development Speaker Series podcast. This week, we are joined by Megan Dooley, who is the Global Program Officer at TetraTech, and George Ingram, a Senior Fellow, Global Economy and Development, the Center for Sustainable Development at Brookings. My name is Daniela Ineza, and I'm a senior student studying mechanical engineering with a secondary in educational studies at Harvard College, and I'm a CID student ambassador. I'm sitting down with Megan and George after their experience at the Harvard Kennedy School on February 4th, 2022. Megan and George, welcome. So to start us off, can you please tell us a little bit about the key elements of digital government and tell us how far the digital divide within but also between countries and communities was exacerbated by COVID-19 and touch on the impact it has had on society? So let me address that on two levels. One is on the broad level of society. And if you think about specific areas like education, just think what happened in this country between those communities, those families that have had access to the internet, have computers, have parents who are there to supervise children versus communities where families don't have computers, they don't have access to the internet. And explode that up into what's happening in developing countries, where in many developing countries, the majority of families don't have access to the internet. They don't have computers. The children are out of school. In some countries, a high percentage of, of the student population has lost two years of education, particularly for girls. Some of those girls will never catch up. They will never get back to school. In the workplace, Think of those of us who have white collar jobs that allow us to work from home versus workers who have to be at the workplace because there's physical activity they have to do. You've got the same divide in developing countries. It's just much greater. To look at the, at the level of, of government and the role of government, those governments that have 21st century digital capabilities say in the, in the case of trade, where they can process import documents electronically, efficiently, effectively, quickly. The businesses in those countries have a leg up on businesses in other countries where it takes two or three weeks to clear something through customs. So that sort of shows you the disadvantages of the digital divide, but that doesn't reflect all of the developing world. And if you look at a few countries that actually have created digital platforms over the last 10 years and see how they have dealt uh, with COVID, you see that India using it at our digital ID system has been able to deliver $8 a month to 200 million poor Indians. Togo was able in 10 days to adapt its digital platform to be able to provide monthly uh, stipends to people at the poor end of the spectrum. So you're seeing the digital divide both between advanced countries and developing countries, but you're also seeing that digital divide within developing countries. And those who have invested in digital capabilities over the last 10 or 15 years were able to navigate COVID-19 much better than other countries. Thank you so much for your answer. So my understanding is that 
digital infrastructures became sort of like an essential element of a 21st century nation. However, we know also that the pandemic sort of compelled us to reassess our priorities. So my question is how can, but also how important is it that governments and private sectors incorporate digital development into their new agenda, especially for developing countries? I can take this one. Yeah, I think COVID has brought into really stark relief the extent to which our lives are now lived online. And this is a digital world and where the private sector is often leading and government is often lagging. As George has said, you know, countries that had already invested in strong digital platforms before the pandemic have been able to adapt quickly and provide support. And those that haven't have, you know, struggled education and workplace losses. So I think, you know, digital development is going to be critically essential for governments to prioritize moving forward. And I do think that COVID has pointed out that centrality. I don't think anybody can come up with, you know, a five, 10 year strategic plan now for governments that doesn't include a strong investment in building out digital platforms and digital skill sets and digital infrastructure and broadband. But I also think a lot of countries have gotten creative during the pandemic and have either built out platforms very quickly to try to get cash transfers to people, to find a way to track COVID cases, to integrate health systems. And I think there's a real opportunity to build out these emergency systems that have been created because of COVID into more robust long-term social safety net and digital platforms. There is work right now, Togo is serving as an example for a cadre of other developing countries to build out a cash transfer system that, you know, if we can build it out before there is an emergency, then you can get people cash really quickly when there are natural disasters, when there is conflict, when there is the next, you know, pandemic disease. So if we use these, you know, emergency systems that have been built as a catalyst for strong infrastructure development, I think we can set ourselves up for a stronger digital government platform moving forward. Yeah, thank you. Also, so just following up on that, I think you touched on it a little bit, but I'd like to ask you, so who are the key players here and what are their roles for closing that digital divide gap, but also expanding it? Uh, there are lots of them. It's, it's almost everybody. It's the developing country government, it's the other stakeholders in the country, particularly the private sector. It's civil society. You know, the government really should take the leadership. The private sector has a lot of the capabilities. Civil society can link government to citizens so they know what the citizens' needs and wants are. It's the donor community. And the donor community is bilateral donors like US, USAID, the World Bank. It's the philanthropic sector like Gates. The, some of the foundations are playing a key role in trying to reduce the digital divide. You know, there's almost, it, it's almost everybody out there has a role to play either as, as assessing and creating the demand or creating the capability and then providing the service. Great, thank you so much for that clarification. So now shifting gears a little bit, can you briefly explain to us how digital government can be used to serve democratic but also authoritarian tendencies? To take the democ democratic side first, digital government allows government to be more responsive to its citizens. It, can, it has a better sense of what the citizens want and need and where their views are. If there's a major issue, 
it can set up a chat function, it can set up a virtual town hall. It, it provides government with the opportunity to better inform citizens. It allows government to provide better, more responsive services. There are certain uh, local governments, city governments, that actually put a proposed budget online and allow citizens to weigh in as to what their budgetary priorities are. And finally, sort of the ultimate is Estonia, where in 2019, almost half, half of the population voted from their home computer. Think about people who, who live a long way away from a voting poll, who lack the transportation. There's a major storm going on and you can't get there. You can't vote during the day because you're at work. Estonia really has shown the way of sort of the ultimate and how digital government can promote democracy and bring the citizen of a country in, into the government process. On the negative side, on the authoritarian side, digital government is unfortunately a great device for government keeping tabs on its citizens and not only on its citizens, but on its own workers. You know, they can, government can spy on their own workers to see if they're towing the government line. Digital government can be used to undercut opposition with false information. It allows government to control the media, both the print media and the social media. It allows the government to cut citizens off from the internet, cut them off from allies and from information, and basically allows government to just spread false information. And if, that, if that's carried too far, it leads to citizens eventually will understand that and come to distrust the government. And one of the big benefits of digital government where it works in a democratic fashion is it actually builds trust in government. I think the key is that digital government is a tool. And so it is neither good nor bad in and of itself. It can be used for whatever means necessary. So openness and transparency and accountability under a democratic government can lead to more openness, but the same tools can be used to repress and silence. So the tool in and of itself is neutral and can be wielded for good or ill. Thank you. So based on that same answer, what would be your recommendations on different kinds of regulations that could be put in place to ensure that that tool is being used for the right reasons and not for the wrong ones? I think there are probably three areas that come to mind. One is that citizens need to have the ability to control their own data. They need to have ownership and control of how the data that they provide to government is used. And the example, again, of Estonia, if I'm in a government agency and I want access to your data, I have to have a reason for that. And it gets registered that I have accessed your data and for what purpose, and you as a citizen have access to that information. So you know that Agency X has accessed your, your data and you can figure out whether or not it was accessed for a legitimate purpose. I think, secondly, there need to be standards and guidelines for information that is put online. There have to be standards and the use of the internet and social media for disinformation 
needs to needs to be regulated. And finally, the I will call them technicians, the people who manage the digital systems in in government need to have protection and barriers from political influence so that they don't come under political pressure to use the capabilities that they manage for ill purposes. So Megan, I know you support research learning and monitoring as the global program officer at the development implementing firm Tetra. George, as a senior fellow for Global Economy Development Center for Sustainable Development at Brookings. So can you tell us a little bit more about different programs that international development agencies are building to bridge that gap created by the digital divide and reach the most underprivileged communities? I think the ones that I am particularly familiar with are the ones that uh, USAID is supporting and other donors where they're supporting civil society groups to build out digital capabilities, particularly around digital public goods. Digital public goods are sort of basic platforms from which you can build individual digital solutions. And there's an organization called DIAL, the Digital Impact Alliance, and it maintains a catalog of some 35 digital public goods. It works with governments to tap into those digital public goods, to bring them into the government so that the government, it, it helps the government adapt those capabilities to its own needs. And a second area uh, that USAID is working on with Dial, but other donors and even philanthropic donors are in there, private ones, are trying to develop a charter for digital public goods so that you have a catalog of good ethical uses and applications of digital capabilities for government. And the, the other one I'll mention is something called MOSIP, M-O-S-I-P, which provides, has brought together or created an open source platform for digital identification and is inviting governments to use that platform to develop their own digital IDs and we'll work with them on technical assistance on how to do that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of creative projects going on right now, partnering with some of the big donors. In addition to the ones George said, I think GovStack is an NGO that's working on presenting a series of building blocks on which governments can construct a whole of society digital transformation. So kind of building those open source building blocks that governments can, you know, create their own system from. And Future State is also working with donor institutions and the private sector to build common strategies to ensure that digital solutions are user-centric and inclusive. And then obviously World Bank's big digital moonshot for Africa is trying to get the whole donor community to invest in a large-scale infrastructure investment in Africa to kind of lay the pipeline and the logistical groundwork for a large-scale digital infrastructure investment. Thank you again to Megan and George for taking the time to talk with us today. This was very enlightening. Um, you can learn more about Jordan, George and Megan's working paper, Digital Government Foundations for Global Development and Democracy on brookings.edu. 
thanks again to George, Ingram and Megan. Really sorry for taking the time to talk with us today. You can learn more about the Center for International Development and CID's research events and upcoming events at cid.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening and we'll see you back soon.